You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our scripture this morning is coming from the book of Romans. Okay. Starting in chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Reality Stockton. It is so good to be with you all this morning. And as was mentioned, my name is Kevin, and I'm here, I want you to know that I'm here with love and affection from your sister church, Reality San Francisco. And this is where I serve as um, one of the elders and the marriage and family uh, pastor on staff. And it has been a joy and a blessing to be with you all this morning. And we are so grateful uh, to be a part of the the, uh, family that shares the same name and to be partners uh, in the gospel together. And I I just want to let you know before I um, step into the message this morning that um, Reality Stockton holds a special place of affection in my heart. So I'm actually going to invite you to go ahead and be seated. (laughs) You're not standing while I tell you this long story. I promise, actually, it's not that long. But, um, but yeah, Reality Stockton holds a special place of affection in my heart, and this is not lip service, and I really do mean it. Reality Stockton was actually the first time I ever attended any reality uh, church ever, even well before I joined staff uh, uh, on Reality SF many years ago. It was around 11 years ago that I attended a conference that you all had called the Story of God Conference. And now, many of you may not have been here or may not remember, uh, some of you may, 
Um, but at that time in my life, in that season of my life, a really good friend of mine and I had been studying scripture together. I was in between churches, and, and um, we were having a Bible study together, and, and we really felt compelled to get away for a weekend of spiritual learning and encouragement. And so I got online, and I searched for church retreats or conferences and came across a couple. I called one church, tried to get some more information to see if we could attend, and the first church that I connected with, um, they were really sweet and kind, but they said that their treat was really specifically for uh, their community. I think they only had like a few slots left. And so then I called the second church, which was Reality Stockton. And I don't know who it was that I talked to at the time, but whoever it was, um, you know, they were really, really hospitable and, and uh, welcomed us to register and come spend the weekend uh, at the conference. Um, for encouragement. So we hopped in our car, drove two and a half hours from San Francisco, rented a hotel, stayed for the weekend, and we were really encouraged uh, through that time together. And so thank you um, just for your faithfulness to the gospel and uh, the spirit of hospitality, your gift, uh, which I believe is, is one of your gifts. And I have no doubt that God used you and your faithfulness to encourage, encourage not only me and my friend, but also others that attended. And when I think back on that weekend, I, it still gives me encouragement. encouragement. So it's, it is the gift that keeps on giving. And so, um, so it's in that context that uh, I say that Reality Stockton holds a special uh, place in my heart. And so it really is truly an honor to be with you here this morning. And so before I jump to my message, I would now like to pause and pray. Father God, you have a word for us this morning. God, you have a word for reality, Stockton Church. God, you have a word for me. Help us to see and experience the truth of your word. It is your word that is going to do the work in our hearts this morning. God, let your word bring us into full and complete maturity in you. Let it be so by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we want ears to hear what you have for us. God, let your word move forward unhindered. Speak to each of us wherever we may be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So no one would argue the fact that we are a nation that is very divided. I mean, we don't have to look far to see how divided we are. Any one of us, we could pull up the news or pull up uh, our social media accounts and, and see the division in our country from both a national level and to a local level, maybe even within our own families. We are a divided people. And what's more is that it's debatable that we are as divided in the church as we are in the world. There's a recent uh, op-ed piece in USA Today that said, you don't have to look far to see division within American Christianity. We're still divided over the 2020 election, racial justice, even wearing face masks. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, more than 200 Christian denominations operate in the United States, and there's still talk of more denominational splits in the coming year. We are a divided church. And while we all know that we can and that we should do a better, better job at working toward unity in the church, division is not new to the church. It is something that the church has wrestled with for millennia. 
It's actually in our text this morning that Paul is writing a letter into a divided church. The church in Rome was divided, but their division was not primarily about race or political tensions or face masks. Their division was a cultural division about righteousness and how we are really made right with God. Now, these were Jewish believers who believed in Jesus as Messiah, but they believed that G- uh, they believed that salvation came by Jesus plus. It was Jesus plus perfectly adhering in keeping to the commandments in the law of Moses. To become righteous, one must follow and obey the cultural traditions of Judaism. Now, we all know the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The Jewish believers in Rome had difficulty grasping and living into the new covenant that Jesus brought. Some of them were stuck in what the Bible would call old wineskins. They were old wineskins of the law and commandments. They were insisting on righteousness by works, by circumcision, and keeping the law and commandments to perfection. And all of this created a a tension in the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. For the Gentiles in Rome, it would be hard to embrace this way of righteousness. Everything that was going on was begging the question, What does it really mean to be righteous, and how do we live it out? And so as the Jews and Gentiles were grappling with this and trying to figure this out, Paul sends this letter right into the midst of their conflict. And so Paul addresses this question of salvation and questions about righteousness. Dr. Charles P. Aaron says that to be righteous is to be human as God envisioned in creation and again in redemption. To be righteous is to be human as God envisioned in creation and again in redemption. So to be righteous is to live in a way that God designed us to live. The way that we are designed to live in relationship both with him and in relationship with one another. But that way has been sabotaged from the beginning since the fall in the garden. And as we reflect on and think about the text this morning, there are three things that I want to look at in Paul's letter to the Roman church. I'm going to look at the problem with righteousness by works, the beauty of righteousness by faith, and the beauty of the feet that brings good news. I want to repeat that. The three things I want to look at in the text this morning are the problem with righteousness by works, the beauty of righteousness by faith, in the beauty of the feet that bring good news. So first, let's talk about the problem with righteousness by works. We live in such a performance-based society. There is so much pressure to do well in order to be accepted. There are many things and places in life where in order to feel accepted or good, we need to do something acceptable to be considered good. And these are real-life pressures that weigh on all of us at different levels and sometimes to unrealistic expectations. Now, I've actually often felt this in my own life, even as a pastor. And I'm sure, I'm confident that many of you have felt this as well. I've actually recently seen this play out in real time over the past several, several years. My son, who is here today, just graduated high school last May. 
and we're about to actually take him off to college just in the next few weeks. But I've watched him and his friends over the past several years under immense pressure in school. He, along with a lot of other kids his age, have worked their tails off under the pressure of tests and classes and trying to get good grades so they can be accepted into whatever school they're trying to get into. I've seen both the joy and disappointment of acceptance letters and rejection letters. When these things happen in our lives, whether it be school or a job you didn't get or a relationship that didn't work out or a relationship that you've wanted and hoped for but never have had or something else, we can be left taking an internal inventory on all the ways we're not good enough or what we could have done to be better. And as we look around us and see how this plays out in the lives of others, we're left with this sense that we have to earn acceptance by our own efforts. And this can seep into all areas of our lives, especially in our life with God. And there are problems that come up when we apply this lens to our relationship with God. I've heard things like, let me clean myself up first, and then I'll go to God. Or let me, let me just get my stuff together and, and figure things out, and then I'll start going to church. Family, God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance or our ability or efforts to clean ourselves up before coming to him. God already cleansed us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. One of my favorite hymns uh, by the Baptist minister Robert Lowry, who, who in 1876 wrote this famous hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to sing it to you because I don't want to subject you guys to my, my bad singing voice, but I do want to read some of the lyrics that many of you know these lyrics. It says, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me as white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, as a side note, if we were in my grandparents' church that I grew up in, this would be the part of the church service where we break out in spontaneous song for the next hour or two. <laughs> but we're not going to do that because we don't have that kind of time. But it was through the sacrifice of Jesus that he has brought us back into right standing with God not because of our good works. We are good and, and already accepted because of who he is and what he has done. Not because of who we are or what we have done or how well we've done it or how bad we've done it. It is his goodness that he imparts on and to us. In the beginning, in the garden, God called Adam and his creation very good. And this was before they really did anything. And before Jesus did any public ministry, he said of Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God sees this as good because of who he is and who he created us to be. God is the source of goodness in and through which we can do good things. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created to do good works. God is the source of of our goodness. But I do want to ask a simple question. If it's not our good works that make us righteous, but instead by our faith that we are made right in, uh, with God, then what are our good works for? 
What is God's purpose for good works? Well, ultimately, the purpose of a righteous work is the welfare of this world and not man's relationship with God. The purpose of a righteousness of work is the welfare of this world and not man's relationship with God. The work that God uh, created and invites us into uh, are the means by which he is bringing renewal into the world. This is how God partners with us in renewal. He invites us into good works that he planned long ago. They are expressions of his goodness. They are the ways that God works in and through us to bless others. The second thing we see in Paul's letter to the church at Rome is the beauty of righteousness by faith. And as we talk about the second point, I want to talk about what righteous faith is and what righteous works are for. Righteous faith is the way that we are made right before God. It is by our faith in Jesus. Righteous faith is about our salvation and life with God. Righteous faith is something we receive. It is not earned, but we receive it from God. Righteous faith is about our identity in Jesus. Righteous faith redeems our fallenness and restores our standing and identity with God. Righteous faith restores our, our peace with God, the shalom of God. Now, righteous works, righteous works are not how we are made right with God, but righteous works are meant for the welfare and well-being of our world. They are the byproducts and the outflowing of our Christ-likeness and Christ's character. Righteous works are gift-based. They're based in, in our gifts according to our God-given ability, and this is going to look different for each one of us. Being made right with God is not based on what I think is right or what you think is right or what the world thinks is right. It's not a relative standard. Now, my family and I recently went uh, to Hawaii for a family vacation several weeks ago, and we were out driving, just exploring the island, and we passed this winery, and we were really curious, so we decided to stop. And any time I go to a place, specifically that has drink or food, I always like to ask the question, what would you recommend? Like, what's the most popular thing that you're known for? And so I asked them, you know, which, which wine is your most popular wine? And so they pointed out a particular kind of red wine. And I also noticed that they also sold coffee. And on one of the shelves, uh, there was a package of coffee with a sticker on it that said, award-winning coffee. And so I thought, got to try this coffee. So off we go with a bottle of their top-selling wine along with the package of their award-winning coffee. And I could not wait to, to try this when we got home. I mean, the best way to reminisce about a vacation is to bring something from home that you can enjoy later and look at pictures and reflect on the trip. And so fast forward, we get home, and the next weekend we decide to relive the best parts of our Hawaiian vacation with a bottle of this wine. And after a, about a half a glass of this wine, I realized that this wine was awful. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to like it so bad but I just couldn't. You know what it tasted like? It actually tasted like, um, like carbonated, unsweetened grape juice. It was just awful. But I still had hope. 
we still had this coffee, this award-winning coffee, and I was holding on to hope. I mean, it had to be good. I mean, because, you know, Hawaii is, in fact, known for producing good coffee. So, so the next morning we woke up, you know, brew some of this award-winning coffee, and the coffee was awful. I mean, the coffee was so bad. It was such a disappointment. And so here, here are my lessons learned from that, that trip. If you're at a winery and they're selling award-winning coffee, that should tell you something. <laughs> I mean, it can't be good on either front for the, for the wine or for the coffee. I mean, my wife and I were wondering, like, who or where did they get this award? Like, did they, did they award it to themselves? <laughs> I couldn't rationalize in my mind, like, how or where um, they could have been given an award for this coffee. But to be fair, I should just judge them for the wine because they did it to themselves, you know? But they did it to themselves. They put this, this uh, award-winning coffee sticker on, on their bags of coffee, so. But the way that we judge coffee or wine or anything by the world standards is a relative standard. I may have thought that the wine and coffee was awful, but someone out there thought the coffee was good enough for a best coffee award. And that person, I'm sure, would likely disagree with my assessment of their wine and their coffee. Now, the point of that story is to actually to give us confidence. Because what makes us right with God is not a relative standard. It does not depend on the world's measureness of goodness. It doesn't depend on my measurement of goodness. It doesn't depend on your measurement of goodness. There is one standard for being made right with God. And that standard has been established in Jesus and what he's done for us. And praise God for that standard. God accepts you because of who you are in him, not because of performance, good or bad. God's standard for righteousness is one that is full of mercy and love and grace. In his loving kindness, God meets each one of us where we are in life. God doesn't have this impossible standard of hoops that we have to jump through for him to accept us. He is a God that would leave the 99 to find the one. And what he, what he does for you, he wants to do through you to the rest of the world. Okay, what he does for you, he wants to do through you to the rest of the world. Church, beautiful are your feet that bring the good news. You are the good news of Jesus Christ. Each one of us is an embodiment and an expression of the gospel at work. It's an expression of his goodness. We carry this message with us wherever we go. The Holy Spirit is active and constantly at work in our lives, telling God's beautiful story of redemption and reconciliation. We are a message of reconciliation, not only with God, but with each other. And though we do live in a divided world, we have an opportunity to be beautiful displays of the only thing that's powerful enough to bring us together. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is what makes us one. God wants to redeem and reconcile all of creation to himself, and he invites us to partner with him in that process. He wants to carry this out through our, our righteous works, which he enables by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is sending you out, and he is sending me out. And so Paul would say in Romans 10:8, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Church, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And for those of you who have not yet committed or dedicated your life to Jesus, I would say this. There is an open invitation for you. God wants to welcome you into a space where you've already been accepted. He wants to meet you exactly where you are exactly as you are. God is not far off. He's waiting to be invited in. The Apostle Paul would tell you that the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. All you would need to do is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Lean on God and learn to trust God with the work that he is doing in your life. Church, let's pray.